Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Iska Greenfield Sanders is an artist born and raised in the East Village of New York City, where she lives and works to this day. She majored in fine art and mathematics at Brown University, and in 2001, she was a visiting artist at the American Academy in Rome. She's had over 25 solo shows all over the globe. Her work is in the collection of the Guggenheim Museum, the Brooklyn Museum, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, among many others. I headed over to her Lower East Side studio to talk to her about her paintings, her unique process, and her love of bulk TV in this studio. Here's our conversation. Do you watch a lot of TV? A lot. Really? Yeah. What's your What's your favorite stuff? I know this is a music podcast, but no, we might end up talking about TV. TV is fine. <laughs> what do you watch? Um, well, I like to watch the worst possible television when I'm working in the studio. Like Real Housewives stuff? Or? No, I actually don't go reality. I like total fantasy. Um, well, that can't be that bad, can it? No, it really can. It can. Yeah. Um, my my friend Christina, who works in the studio with me, is laughing a hundred percent while she listens to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I like. Um, I mean, almost like soap opera genre. Yeah. Um, I like quantity over quality. Okay. So if we're talking like ten seasons. That's oh, good. Do you watch in bulk, like binge watching? Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that um, as I work, I kind of have to unplug my mind a tiny bit so yeah. that I'm not as focused on what I'm doing. Um, but are you looking at bulk, it? No. So it's just or like background. With, with like every, every 10 frames, I'm kind of checking in a tiny bit. Yeah. So it's on in the corner and then I'm working on a painting. Yeah. Um, it's background. Um, but I work on images repetitively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll work on an image that starts off as a small watercolor and then it'll become a larger watercolor. Sometimes it'll be a line drawing. Um, it can be a 14 inch oil, a 35 inch oil, sometimes a five foot oil. Um, and in each incarnation, I sort of have to reinvent um, a reason to change that scale mm-hmm. and sometimes sort of disconnecting from what the focus of my intention um, yeah. is really important. And I find that if I'm totally distracted by my television, yeah. it's really helpful. So those and those um, repeating the image in different you know, sizes and different medium. Yeah. Is that, do you disconnect, not disconnect from it, but do you remove yourself in a different way through the process of that too? I think, um, I like to find a reason to, um, change the scale and change the medium. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of where my work, like the, the challenge comes up. Um, I find that colors become, um, 
I think their colors function differently in watercolor, certainly, than they do in oil. Mm -hmm. um, and there are colors that work best in color pencil. So I have my favorites in each medium. And, you know, when I see an image and I become familiar and interested in it, um, I want to, I don't know, I want to try it in its different um, ways. I want to try it as a color pencil. I want to try it as a watercolor. Um, and then the enlargement, which is typically done by scanning it and then blowing it up in the computer and then printing it, mm -hmm. um, is kind of where I'm always, it's like a magic trick for me. I'm always impressed and excited by what happens. Yeah. And then that sparks something else. So then that sparks, okay, that's going to be an interesting mark in what I'm going to try next. Yeah. So it's really a system that I process things through. Um, and each step kind of leads to the next invention. Yeah. So there's things that you'll do in like a colored pencil drawing that will inform or give you an idea on how to tweak it or add that to, you know, yes. a large painting. Yes. So how does the, so the TV, I want to get back. Sure. Get back to the TV. So are you just kind of concentrating on that and letting your mind kind of... So as opposed to if I were listening to something... I used to listen to NPR all the time, and I still do sometimes, but I, I prefer to actually engage with that. Yeah. And the problem is that that splits my focus too much. Yeah. Um, I want to be... <laughs> it's kind of like... I, I should wear glasses. Sebastian's going to laugh. I should wear glasses, um, but I don't really need to. So what I have, in fact, is kind of, I almost am in focus mm -hmm. in general viewing life. But if I wore glasses, it'd be really sharp. Right. It's the same. Like If I didn't have the TV on, I'd mm. be much more focused. But too I focused. kind of, too focused. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if I have the TV on, I'm like a tiny bit distracted. And it's like if you're playing pool and you haven't had a drink, mm -hmm. your pool game's kind of terrible. You gotta but take if you the edge have, off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have a drink, you're a little bit looser yeah. and you're not really paying attention, your pool game's better. Maybe dancing too. Yeah. 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 Do you have astigmatism? Um, yeah. Yeah, I have the same thing. Where everything's slightly out of focus. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I'm supposed to wear glasses. Yeah. But I don't. And then people are always like, your paintings are so tight. And I feel like they're really loose and hazy. <laughs> I'm <laughs> with you. Once in a while, I'll put glasses on and look at my work. I'm like, wow, that is really yeah. a lot tighter than, than I feel like it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I don't want to wear glasses. I just don't want to commit to wearing glasses. No, me neither. And I have, I have migraines. So wearing heavy glasses, I mm -hmm. don't need contacts. And wearing heavy glasses and the pressure on my nose and face is just not something I'm going to subscribe to when did you start getting migraines 19 I started um, getting them young too terrible. and have you found out what triggers them uh, guilt stress oh really it's stress <laughs> peanuts oh weird Mine was I'm gluten-free that helped a lot yeah actually. I used to I used to get migraines occasionally and then uh, in my old studio one of my first studios in Brooklyn um, it was right next to a sea town Huh. And they had a, a sale where you get buy one of those huge planters oh, peanuts. Yeah, totally. And it was two for one. So I was like, oh, oh that's protein. That's migraine cheap. Migraine town. And I was just downing them straight from the <laughs> bottle. And I kept getting migraines that week. Oh, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I get the ones with the aura where you lose like oh, part yeah. of your vision. Yeah. 
and it goes away and then you get smacked with the biggest headache of your life so I kept getting them and I never got them you know in succession like that they would yeah. be spaced out and uh and I was like I wonder why I'm getting all these headaches and you know it must have been like day five I walked over to the kitchen I went to you know, down some more peanuts. And I thought, oh, because you hear that thing where like chocolate, peanuts, or stress right. can trigger it. And ever since then, I have I lay off peanuts. Huh. So I haven't gotten them in a long time. Knock That's on great. Wood. Knock on the table. No, I, I take daily prophylactic medicines. and To help out, yeah. Yeah. And without them, I'm terrible. Coffee helps too, right? Yeah, I drink tea all day long. I've yeah. never really been a coffee person. But Green tea is good for you. Yeah, it's great stuff. And it's the caffeine's more evenly distributed yeah. than coffee. Yeah. But I just can't give up coffee. So I, I have very low blood pressure, so hot drinks all day long, year-round is, yeah. Yeah. is a good thing. It's a good thing. So, but music, for me yeah. in the studio, music is great because it does the same thing where I can lose myself... Whereas some people like audiobooks mm-hmm. in the studio, yeah, I can't concentrate. I can't concentrate on no. both. Yeah. So, but do you so ever for do me, music? music? Music, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the problem for me is music is um, incredibly transportive. Yeah. And um, I have a hard time not going back to the moment or the time in my life when I first came to that music yeah and it's it's like road tripping i mean i can't there isn't really a present for me Mm -hmm. when i'm listening to music and it's it's incredibly emotional and it's my studio isn't really a space for that yeah um so i listen to a lot of music but it's not in my studio and i also i'm weirdly i have moments of being superstitious so if a painting is going well and I happen to be listening to music, um, I'll hit repeat. Oh yeah. Which is uh, it's a tough thing um, mm-hmm. to listen to a song like forty times. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, I. Yeah. It has its place. <laughs> Does. Well, it's funny because that time, that idea of time and reflection, because music, you know, there is nostalgia, or there is this yeah. relationship we have to time and music, that time is so. Um, seemingly important in the paintings yeah where it's about they they just have this look of a specific time or a memory or you know there's some relationship mm-hmm. with time so is that something that you don't want to kind of bring those two things together in a way i don't the all of the images that i work um with are found uh images and i work from um slides which mm-hmm. are from the 1950s and 1960s uh i work from images that are exterior landscapes that are figured um, landscapes, quite often um, images with water, often um, large or low horizon, um, large skies. I don't think that they have the marker of the 50s and 60s necessarily. Um, I would say that they have more of a timeless um, sense to them, but um, I've chosen the 50s and 60s for a very specific reason um, in that I'm interested in the film um, from that time. Mm -hmm. So it's really, um, these are paintings about um, the photography. Yeah. And... The film, the actual like film stock 
from the 1950s and 60s had a really beautiful quality that changed a lot in the 70s. Yeah. And um, before it, in the 40s, um, color film was not so great, and it really people really didn't look as modern as we we feel. Even in the 60s and 50s, people kind of still look the way we look now. Yeah. Um, so I can get away with 50s and 60s feeling timeless still to us, but 40s is quite a bit older. Um, and when you're at the beach, you just kind of are wearing a bathing suit. Yeah. So unless it's a bathing suit that really fashion-wise was from another era, it's just a suit. Yeah. Um, but the film stock in the 70s became really plasticky, and they had different die sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, it, I can pick out 70s film in an instant. Mm-hmm. Um, that said the color and the um, feeling of the images is something that I'm pretty much reinventing right away once I scan the film and then start working on it in watercolor and color pencil. So as we sort of talked about in the beginning, the film is the is the initial starting point, mm-hmm. um, and it's an inspiration. But then, it begins a process um, in this kind of system that then leads to a, a color pencil and watercolor, and then the train starts rolling. Yeah, um, and other um, marks begin to inspire enlargements and changes in medium for me what's the uh, relationship between that kind of you know color in association with time and film say specifically the materiality of that and then the materiality of what you're using in the studio like the oil paint or whatever you know how are you navigating between those two worlds in a way i've done wildly different colors over the years um i've played a lot with the palette um i've made paintings that are entirely black um i've made paintings that are highly keyed and saturated some that are you know limited to two colors um and totally pale and pastel so i really play from series to series with how the color presents the image Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's part of the excitement of approaching as a painter an image that is photographically founded Mm -hmm. Um, and in keeping the photograph as the sort of substructure to the image and keeping the viewer aware that the photograph is the basis for all of this um, work and there are sort of these subtle clues throughout. Um, there's gridding in all of the oil painting. Gives you a clue that this is an enlargement. Um, the physical prints of the watercolor, which is, a again, a um, remnant of the photograph itself, is the underpainting on which I'm making the oil. Um, all of those components are layered beneath the oil painting. so. I could, I have the facility in my hands to just make these as straight ahead traditional oil paintings. Yeah. 
But incorporating all of those layers in it and keeping the photographic components gives you hints and clues and complicates the reading of these paintings so that you understand that this is about photography yeah. and that it is to be read a certain way. It's on canvas. They could just as easily be on metal, on board. I mean, the, you mm -hmm. know, I'm giving you the indication that this is two inch deep canvas, that the margins, which is there are gutters on all of the oil paintings, which I think are very important as you read the work. That gives you a sense of what the oil painting looks like without the um, benefit of the watercolor and therefore the color, the photograph rather, beneath it. So it's um, the oil is layers of transparent and semi-opaque color through which you're seeing enlarged watercolor, which is originally based on a photograph. Okay, so that outside lighter frame almost yeah. is the watercolor. It, no, it's oil. It's oh, just it's oil. the oil. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then inside is the glazing? Inside is the oil, but with the benefit of the watercolor beneath. Oh, I see. Oh, so you frame out the watercolor first, do that as sort of an underpainting, a grisaille. Right, so exactly. The watercolor and, serves as the grisaille. Okay. Are these also? These are all oils. These are yeah. all oils? So, except for the four in just the... The blue. The blue. Those are um, line drawings that have been transcribed as oil paintings. Gotcha. Are these all finished? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's really interesting to see, and if you don't mind, maybe we'll... Yeah. You know, post photos. Of it. But the difference between the more abstract pieces, the yeah. more the things that come into focus, and then this kind of line drawing. So we're looking at extreme details. Mm -hmm. um, so all of the work, as I mentioned, is comprised of tiles, seven inch tiles, the large paintings. Um, and then these um, that Brian and I are looking at now are extreme details of larger paintings. Um, where I thought diving back into finished work, finished large-scale work, and investigating some of the pieces as paintings within the larger piece. Um, and, you know, finishing the thought, finishing the process, or actually more appropriately, giving nod to the fact that there is no end in my mind to the process. Um, that even once I finish a large scale oil, I see more that it is um, something that doesn't really have a natural end. Um, these, let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven details. These are all made from one large um, oil painting from a show last year mm -hmm. and once the painting left I missed it and continued to chop it up in the computer <laughs> yeah. and then make um, these details from it and they read quite differently yeah. in terms of palette and in terms of um, they're sitting side by side because my studio is not very big with um, more uh, full scale uh, images mm -hmm. um, and they have a totally different feel yeah this one on the, the bottom the, left yeah, yeah it's it's funny because seeing that then in my mind I think 
that that's probably a detail, a zoom in of something else, some mm-hmm. other scene of yours. But it it works as an abstract painting right. as well, which is nice because you know that could exist within some of these larger paintings have moments in them that you can see especially since they're gridded right. to where you can isolate a grid and say oh that that makes a nice abstract composition and that's really interesting colors next to each other and think of it but to isolate it like that i think is really nice and it works on its own i love the idea of kind of like working your way up to a bigger image and then zooming in on that image and in a way that's kind of a cinema you know it's kind of like film in a way you know, you'll have this work up to a larger idea in a movie, mm-hmm. and then you zoom in on a character, or you'll zoom in on something to where it becomes a little more abstract and you can really focus. And these have that feeling of, you know, just zooming into something, and you don't even know, I don't know what that's from, right. but I like that that feeling of, of being thrust so into the image that you can't see what it is. You know, do you like the movie Blow Up? I do. I love those zooms where it's... Is looking into the the shrubs and you know that kind Dude. of play between not really knowing what's going on and trying to find things. Just the Love it. the visual movement in that movie is really incredible. In two thousand four, I made um, a series, uh, a group of paintings for a show that were all based on one uh, slide, and um, it was a an image that had. Um, many figures populating the background of mm-hmm. what was you know sort of some smiling figure mugging for the camera mm-hmm. um, in the foreground and then that figure was not interesting to me at all um, but so I removed it and then I made all of the incidental figures that were sort of accidental captures in the background the um, subjects for the entire show so one slide served as the source for the show and then each piece I mean they were like the size of grains of sand the figures that were in the background Mm -hmm. Um, and so this work kind of comes from that idea and then in 2011 I made a show that was of film edges which are the ends of the rolls of film which Mm -hmm. I always collect when I find them um, where the bleed edge um, is retained not everyone kept them but it used to be that you know when the film at the end of the roll had that beautiful feathered edge to it and I turned them all from their vertical to their horizontal, and mm-hmm. then made those as um, almost like horizon line landscapes. Yeah. And when I was writing about that work, it just exactly as you were saying, they, the language that I described them was the individual paintings as the tiles within my larger pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, this that's right in line with how I talk about it and yeah. how I felt about this work. Well, there's there's a couple things that I want to ask you that I feel a relationship to in making artwork that mm. I think your work maybe also taps into that is a bigger like art question and mm-hmm. one is photography, which has mm-hmm. always been kind of, you know, this issue with a lot of painters or with a lot of people in painting of like the use of photography and the stigma of that, there's kind of like a stigma to it. 
you know, and I feel like in my work, I, I use photography all the time, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's my own photos or just images that I'm cultivating from the internet. And, um, what is, what's your feeling on that? You know, that the idea of there's, there's kind of like this prevailing thought that, you know, real creative work is, is better served without the use of photography. I don't know that, that I've really heard that espoused actually. I, I think that most people use photography. I would I would find it the exception for people to not use photography. Yeah. Um, I would say that in my own work um, where I differ is that in addition to using photography as a source, I also make it the subject of the work. Yeah. Um, so it, it obviously is where I begin the process, but... Um, so you know we talked we just talked about the film edges that's a specific attribute of photography um you could look broadly at my work and discuss how the photographic image um and i've tried to write about this and talk about this before is i think intrinsically linked to how we form memories Mm -hmm. and a way of looking at my paintings is sort of how they attempt to tap some sort of collective memory if you haven't experienced one of these images yourself you've uh, shot something like this of a loved one it's sort of these images that are just shy of your own um, or something that you maybe wish <laughs> yeah. you had right. experienced or captured or something like that um, and in 2010, I made a series that was that focused on all of the flaws in f- specifically film photography mm-hmm. that have been done away with by the advent of digital. So um, light leaks and lens flares and double exposures and stuff like that. So I went about collecting all the slides over you know a two three year period of time that had all of those in the image Mm -hmm. and then it was both fun and challenging to to replicate those in the image in paint because it's ridiculous it's a fool's errand to do but it's also it's exciting to and again i'm going to go back to scale change and medium change it's exciting to elevate as a painter i'm on team painting yeah um photography is ubiquitous i mean if you think about the number of photographs that are shot per second now, now two, I mean, it's just like it's bananas, right? Yeah. My father's a photographer, yeah. like a proper studio photographer, and he has a gorgeous photography collection that I grew up with. That so I know a lot about photography. I know about professional photography. Mm-hmm. In the 1980s, was really the first time that photography was taken seriously as a fine art. Yeah. I mean, in our lifetime film has stopped being made in our lifetime you know the the slide carousel has stopped being manufactured i mean there are all these incredible changes that i mean as a total nerd about photography Mm -hmm. i love and think about except i'm a painter yeah it's just that my subject is is photography and 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 specifically amateur photography so again i I love to think about that stuff, and I'm not at all d- 
dissuaded or, or disinterested. I'm, I'm deeply interested, in fact, yeah. in the, the way that painters pick and choose photography as their starting point. Right. I think it's, it's a long-standing tradition. I mean, basically since the advent of photography, yeah. artists have been attracted to its uh, you know, flexibility for taking into the studio something that you need. Yeah. I mean, it's a great source. Yeah, and it's just recorded images, you know, which yeah. is something we, we all deal with. Yeah. I love that idea of painting lens flares and, you know, or that... I'll give you that catalog. You know, yeah, the, thanks. The, the painting mistakes almost, in mm -hmm. a way. You know, because... This, They're much more beautiful than, yeah. than, you know, the fragility of something that's broken. and Right. Is, is really can be gorgeous and there's a failure that yeah. it's an exploration of failure which is yeah. so important in making work I think is to think about what you're not getting or what you don't can't capture it was so um, wonderful also to think about the the time that was um, built into 24 frames and 30s I'm sorry 24 exposures and 36 exposures mm -hmm. and then finishing that roll of film and then sending it in and then getting it processed, and then two, three weeks later getting it back, and then the editing process being divorced that amount of time from the shooting process. Yeah. So then you have it, and then you keep things like the ends of the rolls of film, like yeah. the double exposures, like the, you know, whatever it is, and all the problems get kept instead of when you're shooting on your phone and you have something that's kind of blurry, kind of whatever, and you hit delete because yeah. you're in the moment mm -hmm. and you are someone who is like, you're saving that storage, right? Right. And it's gone. Yeah. Because that, and again, we're talking about amateur, right? Mm -hmm. Amateur shot stuff. It's, it's a very different process. So time is taken away from the process there. And you can add a lens flare afterwards in your filter. Yeah, you can. It's true. <laughs> it's just funny to think about, you know, a lot of times I'm talking about how rapidly things have changed as sure. far as, you know, not only just thinking about images and how imagery is moved around and the speed of it, but also how you, how you can change it. And now everyone's ability to become like a photographer or to an editor you know, in real time, mm -hmm. and then the obsession with the speed of it and how that changes things. And painting is slow, you know, which I think, I mean, every painter is going to be like, that's what's awesome about painting, mm -hmm. is it's a slow process, you know, and it forces people to slow down. But my second question to what I was, you know, asking about are maybe similar interests of, in painting is this idea that you're, you need someone to slow down to look at the work or to appreciate the work and subtlety mm -hmm. and beauty in work, you know, and, and is today's audience patient enough? I mean, of course there are people who are, mm -hmm. but do you ever think about that? Like, is the work, um, will people slow down for this or are people just going to pass it? My yeah. favorite thing about painting probably is that you can do it in a second. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that about painting. And I actually have a harder entry point, which is tough probably to admit, um, with video, because I have to sit there and watch it. Yeah, yeah, it's time-based. <laughs> um, and I'm always glad when I do, or mm -hmm. often glad when I do, but um, 
I and it's it's great that I can do this, but I love to do it fast with painting. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have two young kids, and so my museum time is often with them now. Yeah. And it's like, how fast can we do this? Yeah. And it's not necessarily terrible to do it that way. Yeah. Because there can be lasting impression. Um, but I think in answer to your question about my specific work, I think you get it all right up front. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, there's plenty if you want to stand there and look at it for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I would say that my paintings are kind of a reverse um, to a normal read in that um, because they're photographically based, mm -hmm. um, you have an instant uh, understanding, quote unquote, um, of what the subject is. Yeah. And I'm being sort of purposefully flippant when I say that. Um, and then perhaps the longer you look at them, mm -hmm. um, the more or the less you understand them initially. Yeah. And then, you know, you begin to, to question a tiny bit more how they were made and you notice perhaps the gutter on the images and you notice the grid and you try and parse them and they're not as simple maybe as initially um, they were because they they are understandable on first read um, yeah. I think hopefully pleasantly so um, I have I'm very devoted to beauty <laughs> yeah. so I mean I really love them to look a certain way I, I actually like when images are, are tinged with a bit of sadness so Often they have, you know, I'm very partial to, you know, solitary figures walking away. There's, there are as many figures that have a certain loneliness to them as there are, you know, frolicking children. But, um, but yeah, there, my paintings certainly have, you can, you can, they group together. You can you can tell them um, from other pieces, but uh, that's partly because of the way that they're made. They have a specific technique that yeah. I use um, and a surface. I think painters always end up talking about surface. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's funny to me this kind of you know making a quiet painting that I, I don't. It's difficult to put the exact verbiage to describe it, yeah. but slow quiet thoughtful maybe more peaceful paintings mm -hmm. seems way more punk to me than just going yeah thick goopy totally. like abject you know and yeah. maybe it's just the environment too of today's painting or mm -hmm. where you know there's this the idea of having a dedication to something that takes time and is a little slower and is a little quieter and maybe deals with beauty a little more just seems to stand out to me more so than something that's just I mean there's good in all arenas but yeah. just overall it just seems a lot I remember like when I was coming out of school I felt like there was a lot more um, you know investigation into beauty or things that like look beautiful or, mm -hmm. and now it's just kind of I don't know yeah things things change yeah. um, I think you can kind of make what you need to make this is definitely what I need to make I mean I 
if you look over the last 16 years, the kinds of images that I've developed and the, um, the drawings, watercolors, and oils that I've, you know, the types of series that I've developed, I am a landscape painter. Um, I, I sometimes, you know, a figurative landscape painter, and I, I, I agree with you. It's 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 a funny thing to be in now, and but at the same time, it's it's what I am, yeah. and, and there's really no. What's hard about it is not the making of the work, mm-hmm. um, and even not even the exhibiting or the selling of the work. But what's hard is sometimes when you try and put context to it for other people making right. work right this minute. Yeah, so when yeah. you're in an interview and someone says, so where does this work fit into the contemporary moment? Like what painters are you really looking at right now in your peers? And I'm sort of like, well, yeah. it's a great, it's, you know, I would love a curator right. to step up and, and, and put some context and tell me, yeah. maybe, you know, great question yeah well it's hard because when you're in your studio really focusing on what you're doing and you get you know i always feel like the the great zone to be in is when you do get in your own rabbit hole yeah and like i would imagine in your process where you're you know working through images and then working back into those images you can get lost in that process and really start to think about things and make some those those kind of rabbit hole decisions that really change your work but you need to be in that zone to get to yeah that it's hard to be, you know, your mind to be out elsewhere in 50 other galleries thinking about, yeah. oh, I relate to that person because of this or that. You just kind of get lost in your process and that's where the beauty of it is or that's where you really feel like you're making um, developments in the studio. Mm-hmm. And if you start thinking about your work in relation to everyone else's work and trying to make it fit in, that's where you start making work that looks like it's trying to fit in. Right. You could also admire other painters' work and what their other artists work and what they're attempting and that still is like a sum zero for what that means to you yeah oh i used to it used to drive me crazy because people would talk about my work and every time they would talk about it it would be like sheeler or alex katz or there'd be certain or ed ruchet you know it'd be certain people oh you must like this person because your work looks like that and that, at that point, I'd never painted a person, and right. you know, as a professional artist, when I was a kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, that's, I did this project where I painted all these people, mm-hmm. like all these portraits, and that came out of the fact that I'm influenced by so many different people that you would have no idea just looking at the work. But you know, there's all these other artists that are really, you know, a heavy influence on me. Right. So I figured, well, if I just paint them, maybe people will realize that I'm thinking about other people besides who they think you're looking at in relation to your yeah. your work. And it's funny because when I came in here, the color is very specific in here. Hmm. I'm sure you realize, mm-hmm. like it's it's very light and then there's just these little pops of color everywhere, <laughs> like tape and stickers and then the paint. Mm-hmm. And um, sound-wise, and even the post-it notes. So sound-wise, I started thinking of music that this reminds me of. And I'm interested if you feel, are there people that, because you were saying that music has such a specific resonance are there bands or music that you hear and you feel like that takes you to a place where it's similar to your paintings similar to my paintings so and you know putting aside the who are the painters that you 
you know, that are in your peer or that you relate to, what's the music you feel like your paintings relate to? I, I can honestly say I've never thought of that. I, for music is just entirely personal. And for me, music is Lou Reed. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just Velvet Underground, Lou Reed. Um, I literally cannot remember my childhood without it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still painful for me to listen to his voice since his passing. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably explains why I can only listen to TV in the studio still right now. Um, But I guess, God, I'm going to name all these dead people. Um, Elliot Smith, Mm -hmm. big favorite. Um, I... So older singer-songwriters kind yeah. of stuff? Um, I mean, do you listen to, you know, Beach House or Teen Days or people like that? Sebastian just told me to get into Beach House. He was giving me the hard sell the other night. Youth Lagoon, um, have you heard them? We were listening to Mazzy Star, which is, you know, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me. Can I make you a playlist? Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's there because there's it's funny because there's certain bands that I just think of immediately, and looking at at your the, oh, it's really? just a feeling yeah, there's a feeling. I think part of it is the water and, you know. I would name things that you would not at all. I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> like, yeah. do you like Beat Connection? Have you heard them? Yeah. Yeah, I would think that kind of. I li- I mean I like the Kinks. I like. I mean, yeah. I like the zombies. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you like classics too, right? Like I a do. A lot of the classics. So if you turn on the oldie station, mm-hmm. but not now that they've updated the oldie station to like the 80s. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. But like the true oldie station, right. like the 50s and the 60s. Like our oldie Which station. is what all these images come from. Yeah. I can literally sing every song. Yeah. The problem is I don't know who sings it or what the title is. Right. But I'm that weird person that listened to 101.1 as a child yeah. every day. Yeah. And Sebastian's like, how do you know this song? <laughs> and... Because it's I'm always around. Like, yeah, just, you remember it's it. It's in the ethos, right? I know every word. Yeah. So I guess 50s and 60s, oldies station, but I know every word. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, I love like all music, you know, especially music from other countries and, you know, just different stuff. But And I get really excited by new music. Like mm-hmm. I'm always, you know, on the hunt for new stuff. That said, I, you know, especially now having a kid and he's going through rock 101 so Mm -hmm. i'm going back in time yeah that's fun with our boys yeah and you kind of re one of the beauties of having like kids is like they they remind you of certain things that you may have forgotten like looking at certain things going to certain places like i never really went to coney island Mm -hmm. now i go to coney island and then i understand why it's you know charming and fun yeah and um with music it's like for instance like neil young is Mm -hmm. right now is heavy on rotation yeah and it's just, it's so good, but I haven't listened to them in a long time. No. But I like that idea of the nostalgia, but also just, not just the nostalgia of the music, but the nostalgia of being young and hearing that stuff and then listening to it after a long time. 
you know, and I think lately I've done that a lot with art too, where I'll go to museums and see shows mm -hmm. by, you know, retrospectives of people. Like I'm really excited to go see the Stuart Davis show because yeah. he's someone that Me I've too. always really loved, but to see it after experiencing so much, you know what I mean? And going mm -hmm. back to it, I think I've become more of a open-ended lover of a lot of things that I was maybe not so hot on in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that happens to you too. Not saying that we're getting older, but no, no, <laughs> we're we're heavy into Weird Al right now at home. Oh, nice. Yeah, boys are really into it. I've got a. <laughs> Maybe that's it's time to introduce my son to Pretty Weird Al. Pretty great. It is. It's good. It's, uh, there's a lot out there, mm -hmm. so be careful because yeah. it might consume your world. Yeah, yeah. What was Eat It, like the first one you went, or what was the yeah, first? Yeah, well, it, it's funny because it kind of happened two summers ago when Mandatory Fun went wild, uh -huh. and so they actually got really heavy into that while it was actually happening. happening. Yeah, yeah. And then, then they went backwards and <laughs> just became... So then they learned all of the parody songs first, and then we did the education backwards, where then they learned all the songs that they were based on. Can you imagine? That's kind of like... And then they prefer all the parody songs, obviously. Right. By far. Well, it's like hip-hop. I mean, I, right. I learned so much about old jazz and old funk and like that real first, ob obscure stuff in the samples. Right. And I was like, oh, who's this, you know? Right and you go back and then you can only hear it through you know your oh, understanding know. The of first like, ears of yeah biggie smalls or something no, and you're like oh that's what that's from and i don't know what your policy is on cursing i mean we don't really care but oh i'm so strict yeah. my dad was really strict growing up so i'm we it's and it's funny because i have friends who will yeah will drop it and i they know now don't really? even yeah, yeah. And I really, he's growing up in New York City. Yeah, so tough. he hears everything and I know he knows it yep. all, but. No, no, not my now. kids are not allowed to say it, but yeah. they somehow know that they're not permitted to say it and that they're bad words, but yeah, my parents curse. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's a one or the other type of deal, yeah. I think. Yeah, we just, I just grew up and you, it wasn't in the house. Yeah, Sebastian's so, family too. Yeah, so we don't. It's an, it's an, I'm still at the point to where I'm changing commercials when they're too crazy. Oh yeah. You know, cause we, oh, no, I, totally. and we to your TV, too. like I'm embarrassed that I, I almost watch no TV oh, yeah. other than soccer. Like I have soccer on all the time. So it's either soccer yeah, or sports. I watch, I watch sports of any kind. I watch sports or I don't watch. It's like a drill straight through my ear. Oh, sports I voices. <laughs> I love it. And it's, it's funny cause I, I know a couple other artists, you know, people who love having baseball games on in the studio or something. Mm -hmm. There is that kind I used of... to watch baseball. You know, it's it's something that's slow and you can kind of tune in and tune out of it, yeah. you know. And it's a very studio-friendly activity, I would think. Yeah. I remember after, you know, 9-11, yeah. it was news in the studio all the time. Sure. Ad nauseum for... It must have been like two years or something. Yeah. And then after that... I said, okay, I just hit a point where I was like, I cannot watch any more news. Right. And I don't watch news anymore. And um, after that, I remember just going to baseball because baseball was just, the TV was on. Calming. So if something happened, because, you know, we're kind of right. like emotionally scarred. If something happened, that the TV was on. But at the same time, it's very slow and passive and, you know. No. Veronica Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so... So what do you have coming up? 
What's what's on the ledger for you? I have um, a show in Richmond, Virginia at Reynolds Gallery in September. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a show in New York at our gallery. Yes. And that's when is that show? Um, Next year. March, yeah. Yeah. So what do you do for the Virginia show? Are you do you know what you're showing? Uh, yeah, like most, scale mostly or? the stuff here. So okay. I mean, I can't really point, but yeah. On well, radio. I'll use my digital photo device okay. to <laughs> upload those images onto the internet <laughs> so people good. can see them. I'll send you a link. Can I add lens flares to that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> cool. <laughs> thanks. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you for it was having me. It's great to be me. here. All right. Thank you.